Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards for you if you donate to the show. Just $1 a month gets you access to a library of over 20 bonus mini-episodes of the Smug Film Podcast. These mini-episodes will never be on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to get them is by donating through Patreon. And that's not all. You also get streaming copies of my two feature films, Shredder and Rehearsals. All that for just a dollar a month. If you donate $5 a month, you get all that. Plus, we'll do a plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your Twitter handle, your website, your whatever. If you donate $10 a month, we'll plug whatever you want on every single episode of the show. It's an incredible deal. They're all incredible deals. So once again, that's patreon.com slash smugfilm, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today, live via Skype, is Brad Avery. Hello. Sounding much better this time around, huh? Oh, yeah. We solved the mystery of the microphone. Yeah, well, it's the same mystery as uh, what happened with Carl Garcia. It's the whole thing. You got to select that microphone, man. You got to go yeah, into Skype preferences. You got to select that mic or else I'm just going to be hearing your uh, crappy laptop audio. I, I was so disappointed when I listened to last week's episode and heard my voice like that because I thought that we had the microphone thing worked out and I was expecting to come in just kind of crisp and clear or, you know, at the very least, you know, passable. And then I heard that. I was like, oh, no, why? Yeah. So I'm. I'm glad that the mic is not broken and that it was just me, you know, being dumb. Well, it means it means Carl isn't dumb because two people made the mistake. So, yeah. you know, you know, it's just a, um, it's you, a common, you know common mistake. It's uh, it's uh, Microsoft's fault. It's all it's all Microsoft's fault. Let's blame it on Microsoft. Although maybe I think he was on the Mac, but I'm not too yeah, sure. It's know. all computers fault. Steve Jobs. It's all laptops. And you know what? It's Skype's fault because that's a common denominator here. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about movies, Cody. Let's talk about movies. Let's talk about in particular, you know, what month is it there, Brad? Uh, December. Because it's it's October here in New York. I don't know. I know. It's, it's, I, it's I always time. forget what the, the month, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're time like zone thing. I always forget. I know the time zone. I I don't know the month zone. I always forget my month zones. But over here, I'm in October world, and I'm enjoying uh, Halloween films. And I know you've been doing that as well, even though it's it's yeah. December in your part of the world. Uh, I never it, it never left me. Yes, yeah, so you've so, been uh, delving through. We've all been know, delving through. So I, I don't have as much time to watch movies right now, but I've been. Really trudging my way through the Friday the Thirteenth series. Now I'm trudging about, makes it sound like you're not enjoying yourself. No, no, I'm I'm really enjoying myself, but it's just sort of you know what it is is uh, those movies really just go down like TV episodes. They do right. Like you can just binge watch them really easily, so I can watch like three in a day, and then you know wait like half a week before I watch another one, and then just power through another three of them. So I'm at I just finished part six. Jason lives. And I know part six sounds really far, but you still got part seven, part eight, part nine, Jason X, Freddy versus Jason, and the remake. So yeah. I'm only halfway through. And then my plan, so once I get to Jason X, I watch Jason X, and then I stop, and I backtrack, and then I'm going to go through the Nightmare on Elm Street series, meet in the middle at Freddy versus Jason, and then watch both remakes afterwards. So that's my that's my goal by the end of the month is to get through both of those series because before this, I really I had only ever seen the original Friday the Thirteenth, and I, I I had seen more of the Nightmare series. I've seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street several times, and then I've seen Nightmare Two, New Nightmare, and I I've seen like part of Freddy versus Jason on Sci Fi Channel like when I was in high school. So 
that's uh, that's where I'm at. So I've been going through those, and I'm really enjoying them. I had one person yell at me for for watching them because he's like, "Those movies are terrible." And oh, why are bullshit! You doing this to yourself, and I'm like, "Oh no, this this is great. I I am loving this. This this is awesome." Uh, and I'm really excited to to actually finally see those movies because when I was a kid in like middle school or elementary school, I don't remember, like probably when I was like 10, I knew all about the movies and I had the internet. So I would like read the plot descriptions on Wikipedia and like read through like what the movies were about, but I wasn't allowed to watch them. Mm. And then by the time I was old enough that I could watch whatever I wanted on my own, I, uh, you know, I'd kind of just forgotten about them, stopped caring, and never really bothered to backtrack until now. So it's always been kind of on my to-do list to just go through the, both of those series in their entireties and uh, finally get to them. Nice. So I've I've seen all of Freddy's, and I'm just now working my way through the Friday the 13th like you. I had seen the first one, but I think I was way too young to like fully appreciate it. Like I saw it when I was like an early teen and I guess I just, the artistry of it was kind of lost on me. And then watching it now, like there are like kind of like Eric Romer-esque moments in that first Friday the 13th. They're very like lyrical, very naturally beautiful moments where you just got these like teenagers hanging out by the water with some nice light and some nice trees. Like there are those moments in there. And I think they kind of get overshadowed by the fact that like, oh, it's just a slasher film. But I I think that movie works really well. I'm only on the first two in my in my journey so far. So we can't really talk about three, four, five, six. They they really take a uh a turn as far as tone goes, but one and two very much are like companion pieces. Yeah. Except for the exploding title card in part two, <laughs> which is great. I love the exploding title card, which I think comes back in part four. Mm. Uh, so you, you get some more of that, just, you know, that, that good mood setting. Well, I'm, really I'm really you. into it. I, uh, there are Freddy's that I like, like I like, I like the first nightmare on Elm street. Four is kind of like my underdog favorite. Four kind of gets like forgotten about because uh, my my what, story about Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. is that the priest in the graveyard during the sem- during the funeral scene I think comes right after. So it's the the girl gets killed when Freddy drags her up on up the wall in the ceiling, mm-hmm. and then her boyfriend gets arrested and he gets killed by Freddy by making it look like he hung himself in the jail cell. And right after that is a, a funeral. And the priest in the graveyard was the theater head theater professor at my college. Oh, nice. So I had I had some classes with him and I took playwriting with him. And uh, he didn't he didn't like to talk about Hollywood because he was like, well, you know, I, I didn't like it because it was I think he said it was like so fake or something like that. And uh, he was also in part three, which I still haven't watched. And he uh, was a reporter in the people versus larry flint hmm. so i i saw it on the i saw nightmare on the big screen a few years ago and i was probably the only person laughing hysterically during that scene <laughs> so three is kind of the one where it it shifts into what people know freddy as like uh the the sort of it, it becomes like the, the same movie made over and over. Whereas like the first two Nightmare on Elm Street, they're kind of different from each other. Um, three, four or five or so are all very much the same thing. But of those, I like four a lot. I think four is gorgeous, especially like I saw, I, I saw them all on Blu-ray and that one in particular just struck me as the one with like the nicest colors, the nicest lighting. Like it was just a really beautiful film. And I, I wonder, like, maybe if I had seen it on VHS as a kid, I wouldn't have seen those notes, you know? I wouldn't have uh, seen all that detail and that beauty um, because it would just be as muddy as the other ones. But, man, really- man, four is uh, four is really interesting. And I, I, I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Interesting, yeah, we, at least uh, visually, you know? It's, we might have to do a follow-up once once we mm-hmm. both finish the, the complete series so we can do like a proper discussion. Yeah. Since we're only like kind of talking with the blinders on right now. But everyone always talks about how bad Nightmare 4, 5, and 6 are. 
Everyone loves part three, which I'm I'm excited to see that. I did but, not love it as much as I was uh, hyped to love it. Four, five, and six really get a bad rap, but at the same time, all the Friday the Thirteenth get like a terrible rap. So I'm really kind of curious. Oh, I, I hear that the series, the Friday series, kind of goes downhill for the most part, except that Jason X is supposed to be really good. But um, I will say my favorite so far of the Fridays is easily part four. And that's because uh, it's it's the final chapter, <laughs> <laughs> which you're not even halfway through the series and you're already at the final chapter. Yeah, you got to love the balls of that, you know, you know, they thought like, OK, we're done. We're going to we're going to put an end to this. And then, uh, oh, wait, just made a ton of money. Oh, never mind. Yeah. But it's got Crispin Glover. And hey, Corey that's always, Feldman. Ooh, double, double. Yeah. Nice. Like young kid Corey Feldman. And so so Crispin Glover really is just doing his thing he's in his like full like i'm just the the weird kind of like langy dude that hangs around but like he's he's very much the focus of it and i don't know that he was necessarily famous yet this is like a year before back to the future mm. and but he he is like one of the the main focal guys of like one of the teens and he there's this one scene that's very famous where he does this they're they're all dancing uh, at a house party or like it's just like the six of them or whatever and they're all the abandoned house that they're at and they put on music and he does this dance where it's it's hard to describe but he just he just starts thrusting his limbs every which way he can which is just how he dances and they just throw that it's it's very much if you're a crispin glover fan and you haven't seen this one then it's very much just him at like the peak of his like character the, the the persona of Crispin Glover is on full display. I'm sold. Yeah. So I've I've really dug the first two, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 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 eleven, twelve. Well, whatever. like you said, three three is where the series kind of falls into what it's known for. Yeah, three is where he gets the mask, which a lot yeah. of people, you know, still to this day, they don't realize that you know for the first two, there. I don't want to spoil things but they're going the different route kind of like it's it's yeah. almost like a self-contained story um those first two and then as you said three on that's when he gets the mask that's when he becomes you know the 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 stereotype of of what jason is he doesn't become supernatural until part six though. right yeah and that i knew the thing is that um so you got the first one which my my cousin actually because he's been getting into sort of exploitation and B-movies. He had never seen them either, and so he watched the original, and he hated it. And he hated it because, A, it's a, it's a pretty slow movie. You should talk... I'm, I'm curious more what you were saying about Eric Romer, because I, I was like, huh. So I want, I want to hear more on that, but he didn't know that it doesn't have Jason in it. Mm. Like, he thought you just got to the, the hockey mask, like, right from the get-go. So it really threw him off. As a result, and I think it throws a lot of people off that they think that, oh, you're just gonna you're gonna get Jason coming in and uh, you know killing a bunch of campers with a machete, and that that doesn't even happen for another two movies. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, the fact that like half the series he's not supernatural, and then the other half he is. Like I can't even think of another instance of that in storytelling in any media where like the main well, protagonist, whatever you want to call it, for half of the, the you know the saga is is human, and then the other half is like a a supernatural demon of sorts. And, and you've also got part five, which is actually fake Jason. Ah, oh, I forgot there's not, that one. Yeah, it's not Jason. It's like this one dude who his son dies and he goes crazy, so he uh, dresses up like Jason and uses the 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 Friday the 13th killings as an excuse to uh, murder everybody. That's really fascinating. So yeah. you've actually got part one is Jason's mom. Yeah, let's part just, two, I mean, it's such a common yeah. spoiler now that I guess yeah, we can spoil knows. it. Well, everyone knows. Everyone listening to this knows that. If they don't it, know, come on, guys. It, it doesn't ruin the movie it, it, whatsoever. Yeah, it's fine. Part two is... Uh, it's Jason. It's the first exposure to Jason, but he's just sort of this weird deformed man with like super strength. And he's more like 
a, a little not quite Michael Myers because Michael Myers has that stealth element, but he he's sort of just that that he's a man. He can be killed, but he's just really strong, and there's there's no reason he should keep getting up. Yeah, like he's he, got that like backwoods brute strength. You know, he's got a. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's almost like a uh, wrong turn, like those yeah, uh, yeah. those creepy dudes in Wrong Turn. And then then part three gets the mask, but he's still just a dude. Just a, just a, you know, buff dude dude. with a mask, you know? Angry. Yeah, backwoods buff. Not like, not like shredded Rambo buff, but like just beefy and, uh. Yeah, 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 beefy. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He's beefy. You know, part four, same thing. You know, he's, he's getting a little, uh, weathered, but he's, uh, he keeps going. He, he's a trooper. He doesn't give up. He, he doesn't quit. He doesn't say, ugh. No. You know, just a long day of, of killing teenagers. If you're watching these movies for to see him say to see him say, uh, no, he, he's not gonna do that, guys. No, he he works hard. He votes. He's a voter. He's a voter. You know, he just likes uh tax you know, paying a, a red uh, stripe at the end of the day and yeah. uh you know, he just wants his paycheck at the end of the week. That's right. Blue collar. Yeah, works hard. Yeah. Good guy. And uh and five, but, uh, it's just some other dude. Five is yeah, poster, liar. And six on, he's a fucking six demon. On, he's a zombie. He's yeah. a he's a demon zombie. Gets resuscitated in the opening scene with lightning. It's just good old Frankenstein, nice like, style. Like and it actually, it very much opens with like some very like kind of Frankenstein vibe. They they know what they're doing. The, the dude definitely is invoking that. And there's actually a, a bonus interview on the DVD I had where he talks about like, oh, the you could totally watch the movie in black and white and it will look just as good. And Ooh, so they, I should they, try that. Well, they fade the black and white as an example. And I it looks gorgeous. And I'm like, wait, wait, make this a feature on the, the DVD. I want to see. Like, it's kind of like how they're doing Mad Max Fury Road, but black and white. And they're releasing it like that. Like, I want to see part six, Jason Lives. In black and white. You know what? I always get so pissed when people are like, they should put so-and-so movie in black and white. Because you just go on your TV and you could just turn the color down until zero. And then you can watch anything you want in black and white. I should I should do that. I yeah. Should I, everyone's that. always like, why won't they bring it out in black? Yeah, you can bring it in black and white with your fucking remote there, guy. It's like um, when, sometimes when I'm watching black and white stuff on TV, I'll actually do that because... If it's like a standard deaf feed, sometimes it'll be green in it when it should be just pure black and white, like just because of like bad video compression. And if if you ever have that problem, this is like, a, you know, AV tips. But if you're ever watching like a black and white movie that you know is just supposed to be black and white, not one of those color tinted ones that's like a silent or whatever. Um, if you're watching something and it's just supposed to be black and white, but you see weird colored uh you know, digital or video grain in there. Just go on your TV and turn it all the way down. And there you go. Very informative. Okay, so I wanted to go back to the the Eric Romer thing. Oh, yeah, totally. About the first Friday or the first two Fridays or whatever, because I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And I want to know more. Are you uh, are you versed in the Eric Romer? I'm not, at all? I, I've, I've seen like the first half of the uh, what's that that six films he did the uh, the six moral tales. I've yep. seen the first half of those. So. Okay. Have you seen like Claire's knee yet, or like uh, no. La, La Collectionus, or no? Yeah, I'm I'm bad. I'm All bad. right. Well, I when I when I say they're like Eric Romer films, there's a there's a certain couple of his films, and later on he he goes into this again in like the 80s or whatever. But there are ones where it's just people like hanging out by a lake and like having conversations. And it's just like it, it captures the vibe of like, you know, just tingly feelings in your loins and like, uh, you know, liking girls and, you know, trying to figure out how to talk to them, that kind of thing. And I I definitely get that vibe in the Friday the 13th, uh, at least the first two that I've watched, part one, and part two, mostly in part one, actually. You know, what's actually striking about some of the Friday movies is that some of those relationships between the teenagers, like the whole idea is that like, oh, they're just these teens. They go, they have wild sex, they party, whatever. But some of the relationships between the characters are really romantic. Yeah. And they're actually very like uh, grounded. They don't, they don't feel like um, silly. They don't, they, like, it's not, they're not played up for like, uh, 
you know, silly moviness. Like it's, it's like you, you're seeing like people having fairly realistic sex with each other. And the nudity is all like very realistic and not like overly sexed. It's, it's kind yeah, of, we're, we're talking about the first two here. Cause that definitely yeah. changes later. All right. But, well, fair enough. But you know, well actually even in part four, it's, it's very authentic as far as the characters go. But you know, like, like you said, like in part two, you have the kid in the wheelchair and his his girlfriend. Yeah, their conversation that they have before they're like gonna get it on. It's yeah. it's beautiful and and like the the performances are are really natural, especially those two. And uh, and the I, girl I, leaves to go into her cabin, and she's sort of uh, she's changing her clothes, and she's sort of like trying out what she wants to wear because she wants to to look nice. But it's not it's not. Uh, like it's shaming her or anything. It's not like nope. it's saying like, oh, like, oh, this she is the uh, the vixen having lewd sex before marriage. Kill her. You feel really bad for her because she seems very sweet. Yeah, and he is like a very nice guy. Like he's very nice. They're just a cute couple that are young and they have this very authentic chemistry with each other for the few minutes that they're on scene that they're on screen, and then. Uh, Jason comes and kills them. I'm glad you felt that way too, because uh, I, I definitely that was that was my big takeaway. I think from from those two first two films is that I really, you know, for the most part liked the the characters and the casting. I, I there were like a couple characters in both where I was like, eh, like the there was like that token funny character in the first one and the second one. That I didn't really like too much. Oh yeah, they have they have those ones in all of them. Yeah, and I I just that's just me. I just tend to not like the uh, the funny character in horror movies. I don't know why. It always pisses yeah, me off. Always, well, and you know what? You know I'm why? Because what? they're not realistic. Yeah, no one that's true. acts that way. Even the real life like class clown goofs do not act that way. The only like accurate depiction of that guy that I think I've ever seen is. Um, the kid in Freaks and Geeks who thinks he's funny, like the uh, I forget the actor. I, I think it's Sam. Fuck no, it's uh shit. Uh, another curse okay. word. Okay. Uh, another curse word after that. No fuck. What what was it? Ah oh, man. I don't know. Anyway, don't it's know. the the kid with the curly hair. People know what I'm talking about. He's the yeah. one that does like impressions and shit. That's like a really good version of what they're trying to do in Friday the Thirteenth one and two yeah and that, that's it's a it's a big slasher cliche and a lot of the cliches do come from this series like a lot of them just are true right but they're not they're not popcorny yet which uh yeah. is so is so it was so refreshing because i was bracing for a more popcorny version of these teens and man there's like moments where it's like after they've had sex and like one of them is gonna go pee and then, like, go, mm-hmm. has to go find, like, the fucking bathrooms at the camp. Like, there are these great, like, uh, low-light kind of very realistic moments that's just, man, it's 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 like nothing you see in other slasher stuff. It's really, like, you got to look towards, like, French coming-of-age stuff to really find something similar. And you know another thing that those movie, those first two movies do is that, the camera moves in a way where they do a lot of point of view shots that are not actually point of view. Oh my god, my favorite! They, they do so many of those where it's a it's a psych out where the camera the hand it's handheld and it moves in that way where you think someone's watching like you're in the eyes of the killer and you're stalking this person, but you're not. It's not yeah. actually the killer. It's just the camera oh, it's and there's so no good. one there. And then it mixes it up so that sometimes it actually is Jason or Jason's mom or, the, or whoever it is. Sometimes it actually is a killer and sometimes it isn't. So you're never sure for like, you can never be certain if it's actually the killer or not. And that's a really nice touch from the cinematography about putting you on edge and just building that suspense. Cause you think, Oh, this one's definitely real. This one's definitely real. And then it's not. And then like, Oh, this one's a fake out. And then it's totally, you know, then they just die. One of the it, best it really uh... is effective filmmaking yeah one of the best examples of that i thought was the opening sequence of part two where she's walking around through her house like i'm thinking about i rarely am like on the edge of my seat like kind of bracing when i'm watching horror movies just because i feel i always feel like i've seen everything already i've seen enough types of horror movies that i'm kind of 
ready for each. Like I see, I, I certainly see like shot setups when I know that there's going to be a big scare reveal. It's kind of like when you're watching a cartoon and you see that like, uh, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but long ago, so I'll talk about it again. But if you see like um, something that's cell instead of painted on the background, um, mm-hmm. you know it's going to move at some point or it's going to be like, that's yeah. the drawer that the the cartoon's going to open or whatever, because that's the only drawer that's a cell. When you're watching a horror movie, you see these like setups where you're like, all right, well, they're not going to do the scare in that shot because you can't, you wouldn't be able to see enough of what happens. Uh, they're not going to do it in this shot. They, oh, they're going a little wide. She's standing by the window. Now it's going to be the shot where it comes through. The, you know, like you, you sort of, there's a visual um, vocabulary that I think you pick up on if you're a filmmaker, if you know anything about storyboarding, or if you just watch a shit ton of horror movies, you know the kind of shots that are going to lead to things. But when I was watching that opening sequence, man, I was fucking like, it was playing me like a fiddle because it kept fucking with my expectations. It was like uh, when they talk about like a magician that's like a magician's magician who like mm-hmm. will do moves to trick magicians that are watching or like a, a comedian's comedian who who tells jokes that are like mm-hmm. jokes inside of jokes. This this was like very much like it knew what your expectations were and it was playing with them and it was it was fucking with like the people in the audience that that are this feel like the smartest people in the audience because they've seen everything before. It was like I was I was fucking I, it was so exciting and then like it brings a smile to my face just thinking back to just watching that opening sequence. I'm really I'm really loving these uh, Friday Thirteenth, and I hope I I hope I just keep loving them. I hope it becomes my favorite series. I hope uh, I'm I'm I've found my uh, my my guy that I love because I don't love Freddy. I never <laughs> I never <laughs> loved Freddy. I, I love Freddy. I you like love Freddy. Freddy? I I can't. Yeah. I don't know. He doesn't do it for I, me. And I, I love like the concept. They have fun with it. I love Robert Englund, and I love uh, I love the idea of Freddy. I just. I don't know the movies, man. They they they're not good enough. They never. There's no one that's like, even the first one. It just doesn't feel good enough that it's like something I want to revisit a lot. Same with uh, Halloween. The only one I revisit is fucking three. <laughs> I love three. Oh man. Well, actually, speaking of Halloween, I want to jump back to the the kind of sad sadness of the the deaths because Halloween two, Rob Zombie's Halloween two. I still gotta you, see it. Not, I still gotta see it. That one. I'm doing that this so month. It got gotta have John here right now to talk we've, about we've, Halloween I mean, Two Rob Zombie version. <laughs> Between you and John, it's been brought up like four or five he's the times. One, he's the one that was like to me, he was like, Those movies are good. Like, watch those movies. So I was like, All right, I'm gonna check it out. And I I love it more. I love Halloween two more than he does because he always he's always about how uh there's like ten minutes that are really bad. And I don't remember those ten minutes because the rest of the movie is so good. Nice. But and it, but one thing that connects it to Friday the 13th part one and two is that in zombie does is much better is that the deaths are so sad because these people do not deserve this. Yeah. And he really sells that, that these are good people. These are innocent people who are just in the wrong place at the wrong time, who have no reason to suffer this much. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that he really nails. I think someone who grew up watching movies like Friday the 13th, and the entire series and all sorts of horror movies that we've never even heard of and just kind of engrossed himself in that culture and that mindset is able to really tap into that and go back to that and doing it in a way that's not like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, doesn't this remind you of uh, all these old classic horror movies? It's no, he's taking that feeling and just amplifying it to why do these people deserve to die? Like, yeah. why do we cheer when these people die? We shouldn't be cheering. Like, this is horrible. You get so used to not caring about characters. If you're if you're a horror film watcher who who's seen hundreds of these, you get so many of them that you are are just you know they're pieces of meat that are just walking around and talking, and then up oh, they'll they'll die in an interesting way. And it it's always mm-hmm. refreshing when you care about the characters. Like a film like uh, Eden Lake, which I've 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 talked about on the podcast is it's one of the best uh horror films in recent years and it's one of those where it it it's sad whenever anything bad happens to anybody in that film whether they're a good guy or a bad guy and i think that's 
that that's a really good thing where you can get to like the tragedy of like it's like no all of this is bad it's all sad it's all upsetting and like it just it doesn't waver from that there's no you know ones where you're like yeah you got them you know it's like uh, and you know it's funny because even though i had never really seen the friday theory the friday series i've seen so many knockoffs like movies like madman and uh i can't even count them all uh or just like some of the italian slashers like pieces sure where the the junkier the versions are, they're all just you know they're all just fodder they're they're cannon fodder yep. you know waiting to die and you you've seen this and you've seen it so many times you can't even think of the titles of the movies because they're that disposable yeah you're but essentially it's, it's you're watching really, a puppet show you know they're just like and like even even in the in friday part one and two even in rob zombies halloween 2 you don't really remember the characters names they they don't stand out but you remember what they look like and who they were and how they acted yep like they're they're not iconic characters but when you think back to the movie you can actually look at them and be like yeah that that person like i i kind of you know for that brief minute where they got to really stretch their acting chops and and you know do a scene and, and interact with each other. Like I, I felt for them. I felt for them in that moment. I was like, I, I like these people. Yeah. Um, Friday four, the, the, the final chapter with Crispin Glover. Uh, but Crispin Glover's character is a really good example of this too, because he's this awkward kid. He, he doesn't really get on with girls and he has his best friend who's with him. Who's like, ah, oh, we're, we're going to get so much pussy. Ah, like just doing that whole crude thing. And, then Crispin Glover makes this connection with this this really like this this sweet girl who you think is you know out of his league and kind of playing into those old high school stereotypes, and you know he gets with her and it plays off a little funny. He's he's but he's very human and again it's because you got an actor of the caliber of Crispin Glover in yeah. these movies that you don't often get for a, a Friday the Thirteenth, but. You know, and then the the friend who is talking big, of course, ends up with nobody because he's kind of this you know jerk with uh, you know no actual game. He thinks he's got game, but he's he doesn't actually connect to people, and that's what the movie gets is that you know he doesn't connect to people. Christian Glover can connect with somebody, and they can form a relationship, and it can feel authentic in just you know five minutes of screen time, and then Christian Glover gets a. Uh, killed in a kitchen <laughs> right and that's it and then he's just dead there you go like that was the end of his life this person this is their life they, yeah these they, uh, these people you know these at this moment this not moment these of characters these dying. these people these you know far too often they're just characters and it's it's really so refreshing when they're people all right we're gonna go to a quick break and then we'll be right back with more horror discussion see you soon and now Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Name the killer in Friday the 13th. Jason. 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 I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. It was Jason. Afraid not. No way. Listen, it was Jason. I saw that movie 20 goddamn times. Then you should know that Jason's mother, Mrs. Voorhees, was the original killer. Jason didn't show up until the sequel. I'm afraid that was a wrong answer. You tricked me. Lucky for you, there's a bonus round, but poor Steve. I'm afraid he's out. This has been a robot reenactment. Now, back to the show. Hello, I am the hunky smug film sponsor plug man. I'm here to tell you about the fine people who support the smug film podcast through Patreon. You all should check out Bobby Slow on Twitter, he's a very funny and good man who tweets funny and good things and is worthy of your love. And he has a really good Twitter ratio of followers to following. That's impressive. Once again, that's Bobby, Slow, on Twitter. You should also check out Minor Key Games. Go on over to MinorKeyGames.com and check out these awesome computer games made by David and Kyle Pittman. Two brothers that make great video games with an old school feel. Cody hates new video games for the most part, but he enjoys the heck out of these. Once again, that's MinorKeyGames.com. Also, be sure to check out Room Full of Spoons, 
Rick Harper's documentary about the cult classic film The Room. It's a great documentary that we all love here as Smug Film, and go to roomfullofspoons.com to find out when it's coming to your city. Thank you for listening to my hunky voice, and thank you all who have donated to the show. And if you would like to be plugged on the show, please head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm and donate. And now, back to the episode. Hello, Smug Film fans. Leave us a question or a comment for Smug Film to play on the show by calling the following voicemail number. 718-395-9711. Once again, that's 718-395-9711. We look forward to hearing from you, you lovely, lovely people. All right, we are back, and uh, we have another horror series that we want to talk about. This is one I'm very fond of. I think Brad is as well, and that is yeah. the uh, Final Destination series. Yeah, I watched all of these last year, and they're except for part four, which sucks. Uh, the rest of them are great. See, part and, four. Let me before we get too deep into this. Right, let yeah. me provide the only defense of part four, which is in theaters with 3D glasses. And a full theater of people that just want, you know, a fucking roller coaster. It's really, really enjoyable. I agree with you that that it, technically it's kind of the worst because it barely has any story. It's mostly just like you went to like a amusement park and like went on fi- Final Destination the ride or something. Like it's very. You know, I I don't want to get too off track because I have a thesis to go with okay. this series. But part four. It's so full of CGI, and normally I, I try not to complain about CGI, but there's no weight to anything. You don't see nothing it. feels heavy. Yeah. Nothing feels like there's actual mass to it. It just feels like you know, just boom explosions of of CGI gore that don't actually mean anything because you know they're just computers. Like there's no real uh, physics. I totally agree with you, but you don't notice it as much with those like, especially when, I mean, that came out when it was just you know, starting with the 3D stuff. And uh, you didn't really notice it because of like the dimness of the 3D glasses, et cetera. Um, it really, it was a fun time in theaters, but yeah, it's it's probably the weakest. But yeah, I want to hear your right, um, so your whole thing. My, it- my theory with this series is that it's the last slasher series. And when you, you look at it, so the first movie came out in 2000. And that is a good 22 years after uh, Halloween came out. And then they kind of started coming out every three years after that. And, you know, we're up to five of them now. And I hear rumors that there might be a six. I'm not sure. But throughout the the history of the slasher genre, as it dates back to the 70s, it sort of had to keep up in the ante because the slasher genre is so rigid. And I actually think back to when Quentin Tarantino was making Death Proof. He talked about kind of he wanted to make a slasher movie, but he wanted to do something different. And he ran into trouble when he was writing the script because if you change the slasher formula too much, you're not doing it anymore. Right. It's so rigid that you really can't mix it up without just not doing it. And that's sort of what happened with Death Proof is he was like, well, I'm going to make this you know, movie about a, a killer. And then eventually it turned into a muscle car movie that I really enjoy, but it's not a slasher. It starts kind of like one and he can't, you know, it's, it's not a slasher. That's fine. But it's a good point about the history of these movies is that Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, they all fit into this very rigid formula that as the sequels go on, become more rigid. The way that you, you watch this. Yeah, the way that you talk about it, it kind of is reminding me of like the Dogma 95 uh, manifesto where like there are all these rules where like it has to be natural light. It has to be like a just a, an actual it setting, etc. It has to be a group of people. It has to be a single killer. It yeah, has there to are be these killer. rules where like if you break too many dogma rules, then suddenly it's not a dogma film anymore. Um, yeah, exactly. So there's, there, a, there's probably... Okay. You could sit down and you could come up with like 10 or 12 slasher rules. And, uh, where West Raven kind of did that in Scream anyway. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah. They, they they have the slasher rules. and it be, But as it went on, is you had to keep it fresh. And you notice like 
already in the Friday series where I'm at in it, you know, you're starting to see, okay, you're starting to see how it's falling into place. And they had to up the ante because they're like, well, what if Jason was supernatural, et cetera. But you start, you have, um, you know, you have uh, the proto slashers, you have stuff like Black Christmas, but then you have Halloween and Halloween, you know, you think he's dead, but he's not. He gets back up. He keeps killing. And then, okay, but he's just a escaped lunatic. And then in the Friday the 13th series, they they keep going through some, something similar. But then, uh, oh, Jason's back. Jason's back again. Now Jason's supernatural. Now you can't kill him. And then in, in Nightmare on Elm Street, what if he can go into your dreams? What if he can, you know, bend reality, you know, change things? He can change into a giant snake if he wants. He can do literally anything in the realm of uh, surreal dreamscape. And this you know, the slasher genre to keep fresh had to keep kind of expanding the stakes. But when you get down to it, what do all of these characters represent? Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy Krueger, what what are they? They're death. All they are is death on two legs. Right, they're grim reapers. Exactly, grim reapers. And so how do you get any further than that? You, You don't because you can't stretch that far. And so Final Destination is the final slasher series because it just gets to the point. The killer is death. Right. It's just death. And you got your cast of characters, and they keep trying to figure out how they're going to defeat death, and you, you can't. I don't think, does anyone survive that series in the end? Because even in the sequels, they'll say, like, oh, this person died off screen, yep. got hit with like a brick in the head. Like, everybody dies. Yeah, it's there's, fate. there's no it's, escape. It's, it's the ultimate fate that, that, you know, we are all sort of beholden to. And I love I love uh, the Founders Nation series, and I I saw them when they came out. Um, I know you you only saw them last year, as you said. But following- well, I'd seen like uh, the first two years okay. ago, and I I loved them when I was kind of a teenager in high school. Yeah, I, I loved those first two movies, but I never saw three, four, five. So I, I rewatched them for the first time in years. I hadn't Got seen it. them in a long time. Yeah. Well, following them when they came out for me. It was really interesting with that series in particular, as opposed to uh, the Saw series, which actually, now that I say that, I don't want to throw entirely under the bus because those first three Saw movies are all fairly distinct from one another. It only really becomes, yeah, it only really becomes like a coalesced samey thing from like four through seven. But um, you can only do so many sequels in in a horror series before you, you get a little repetitive. So the thing but. that I loved about Final Destination is even though you've got essentially no physical killer, you've just got the idea of death and uh, this the, the sort of Rube Goldberg-esque things it can do to uh, make sure that you die, even though it's so bare bones as that, each one kind of feels like its own thing. Like the mm-hmm. first one has a distinct vibe, the second one has a distinct yep. vibe. The third one, which is actually my my favorite of the sequels, I I like the third, two and three are kind of neck and neck for me. I have trouble saying which one I prefer more. Yeah, third one's they're both really good. Third's the one for me, but they all kind of feel uh, like their own thing, and I think that's mad refreshing because on the surface you would just assume it was the same movie over and over and over, and at its core, at its heart, sure it is, but. It has a certain. There's something a little different about each one. It has its, its own flavor. Character to each of them. Yeah, it's like somebody. It's like a, a great song. Like somebody came up with a brilliant song with a great melody that nobody had ever really uh, come up with before, even though it's damn simple. And it's just with those five movies, you're seeing uh, different bands play it in like a slightly different way, but keeping to it uh, enough that it's all relatively the same song. And, you know, by the 90s, you get a movie like Scream. People had seen enough of these slasher movies. They knew what they were about. They knew how they worked. They they got it. Scream kind of was a refresher because it was self-referential. It understood that, oh, hey, you know, uh, you know, don't go off by yourself. You know, don't have sex. You'll die if you have sex. You know, they yeah. understood the references to the, the horror movies. And then this one is just says, hey, you know, let's cut it out with the killer thing. What is what is actually going on in these movies? It's just death killing people, and it just has fun with it. It has a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's like we reached a point of like peak cynicism as far as the slasher genre with Scream because we we were 
at this point, we were just sitting in chairs analyzing it. You know, it was... Uh, in, in the Final Destination series gets a little cynical at times. Like, there's a little bit of humor that's a little cynical. But sometimes it plays a serious. Like, the first movie is a little serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually a lot slower than I remember it because it's a, a good 45 minutes to an hour before the the actual thing gets going with the death killing everybody. Well, I you think get that first plane crash and then there's a lot of buildup, just the funerals and yep. there's kind of the, 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 the lingering feeling of like, Oh, this, we survived this disaster, but all our friends died. And then finally it, it really gets going and hits the ground. Part two has that that car crash scene on the highway and then it just gets going as soon as it can it keeps going and going and doesn't let up until the end and even then has this like very trauma-esque stinger with that barbecue scene at the end of it Mm -hmm. uh so again like we were saying just two different tones because part one is very uh kind of slower you know it's it's not somber because it's it knows what it is it knows it's a horror movie but it's almost kind of coming off of that 90s Dawson, Dawson's Creek vibe of teen movies and weaving horror into it. And then part two just says, well, let's take this and let's just, you know, go hog wild, get as crazy as we can, you know, take the Rube Goldberg thing to the max, you know, be as ironic as we can. And then we'll, we'll hit it with a stinger that's, you know, just like straight out of uh, Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, well, what I, what I meant to say was that Scream was the the cynicism mark, and then post Scream, it was like, all right, well, you guys are all talking about like essentially a dude doing it, and it was like, here we go, we're gonna distill it even further to something that you have you have to create new language to even talk about because now you have to start talking about like fate and determinism and things like that, whereas before you were talking about surface elements, so I think it it kind of refreshed the discussion which had gotten pretty stale. To the point that like everybody essentially knew the rules and then it was almost like a like a another philosophy professor came in and was like all right well you guys have talked to death this aspect of philosophy now let's go <laughs> even deeper and let's talk about this whole school of philosophy so it was like right when things were getting stale final destination came in and uh kind of saved the day and i would say that like you know hand in hand like the kind of like you had Freddy and you had Jason with Final Destination and Saw. Those were the kind of like two hand and handers of uh, the next wave, um, because I do think that Saw has more to say than it kind of gets credit for. I think um, I think, yeah, originally it does. Yeah, that first one in particular, I think, is very, very strong. And I do appreciate the fact that two is kind of like a um like a you know a murder mystery slash trapped in a house kind of like adventure thing yeah like that old classic house on haunted hill vibe yeah of saw two and and three i three actually like it's almost it's almost uh what's his name william castley in a way that's just super gory definitely and uh three has its own kind of vibe where like it, it harkens back to in particular there's a film called uh happy birthday to me which is a very cult like deep 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 cut for like real big horror buffs and horror filmmakers like the saw movies the the reveal in the first one is straight out of happy happy birthday to me and there's a sequence in happy birthday to me that's a brain surgery that saw three does exactly as well and i love the fact that like this movie that was clearly so influential on the first saw they went back to and were like, what else can we mine from this? And they mined this very like kind of disturbing and real thing of like what a brain surgery is like and removing the plate of skull, etc. I love that they threw that curveball into a film where like everybody was, you know, waiting for like these torturous kind of like uh, weird traps that people would have to get out of. And it was like, all right, let's present a very real scary looking thing such as a brain surgery. I, I, I really appreciated that. I thought that was like a, 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 a amazing thing to witness a, a film that had already become a stereotype, uh, find something uh, new to do. It, it, was, it was very interesting. Well, to leave this off, I think I said that Final Destination was the last slasher series. And the reason why is that I feel that nothing has really been done since then 
that refreshes the genre. Everything has fallen into this sort of nostalgia wave of remakes and homages, where even the, the slasher movies that have come out since then, you know, there hasn't been too many good franchises. And those that have come out to get a lot of buzz that get seen focus so much on sort of the homage to the classic slasher. Right. And not just Cabin in the Woods, but, you know, a lot of, you know, what Eli Roth is doing, where he's just sort of paying homage to his favorite horror movies. He'll do Cabin Fever and just riff on Evil Dead the whole time, or he'll do Green Inferno and riff on Cannibal Holocaust the whole time. Which, he's doing his to be fair, I love, I love Cabin Fever. Um, I'm, I'm not. Oh, I got nothing yeah. against Cabin Fever. It's just not, it's not fresh. Right. And it doesn't, it's not that's, a new sort of discussion. I like I like it's, horror franchises that add well a new discussion. Yeah, but there's nothing. What else is there to add to the slasher genre? Yeah, that's and what I think I'm saying. Saw is a little different because Saw, again, breaks that mold so much that it's that new. They call, the, we haven't heard the, tor- the term torture porn thrown around in a while, but that's you know Saw and Hostel were the ones that uh, you know did that. Well, the great and, thing about Saw actually as like a sister series to Final Destination is that it's about the killer is forcing you to do whatever they want you to do to yourself, where it's like it's it's putting a a false kind of uh, um, responsibility in your but, hands. But is but is Saw a slasher movie? That's the question. Well, I think it's is, a, is, it, is it a slasher or is it something different? I think it's and a, Final Destination is definitely a slasher. I think it's a slasher film in the sense that. It's making you the slasher of yourself. It's making the victim, I'm sorry, making the victims the slasher of themselves. And I think yeah. that's an interesting take. And I think that's what keeps it a slasher film is that, is that the, there's an ingenious aspect to making the, the victims be the perpetrators of their own uh, deaths, essentially. Um, even though it's a controlled I think it thing. Does and it's so originally that it doesn't, register as a slasher movie is what's unique about it i don't know i, th- and it's I think it's definitely I would, a franchise now i think i would call I, it a slasher i never got that vibe watching those you know what i i, I, I mean, think makes it I a slasher though argument, but i've never thought of them as long. yeah another thing that makes it a slasher is that there's a point in the series where jigsaw gets pissed off that his protege isn't giving them a fair enough shot like he had he has specific mm-hmm. rules to what he's doing his whole thing is that they have to have a fair shot or else it's not an actual saw trap. And I think that aspect makes it a slasher because it, it further reinforces the idea that you are the slasher of yourself. This is a, a deliberate choice you're making. It's like with the Final Destination series, the, you, you essentially have no choice. It's just your fate. With uh, the, the Saw series, you're forced to be your own slasher. You're forced to choose to hurt yourself it's it's something that like i'm only thinking about this right now so i kind of have to sit and like think about it even further and i'm sure both of both of us need to but i think i think there's a case for uh saw as like a uh i don't even know what it would be in philosophy like i would have to explore what i would even need to term it as but i think there's there's something there i don't know am i on the track am i am i on to something think, i see what you're saying and i think you I think you've got a enough of an argument there. I, um, you know, and it's been so long since I've seen the Saw movies. I'd have to go back to them to sort of dissect yeah, them more. I think I need to as well. But I think they, I think they fit into the franchise mold, but not, you know, they they never get associated, at least in my mind, with uh, with Friday or Halloween or Nightmare or Final Destination. I think of Final De- Destination as a direct protege of these past movies whereas saw i see is something you know knows about these movies but is shifting away because i think the first one as well is part of that where the first saw movie is very much interested in the psychological elements of it it's very much interested in probing sort of the minds of the character of what they do in these this situation and it's very isolated it's just the two of them it's a little play like uh but the the series grows into that let's just kill as many people as we can with as many innovative traps as we can mm. later so maybe it grows into a slasher in a way 
but the first one is definitely not a slasher movie. The first one is definitely something different and more uh, attempting to be psychological and philosophical. Whereas later they say, well, what people really want to see is, is people getting slaughtered in, in all sorts of gruesome ways and coming up with these weird traps that are, you know, actually when you, when you say it are, are reminiscent of sort of the way the dream deaths in nightmare on Elm Street. Right. They yeah. are dreamlike. What's yeah. as creative as, and what's, and uh, yeah, so I think also, you know, the cool thing about the station, the cool thing about that first Saw movie is that it basically took a used premise as far as, you know, the, the film seven, David Fincher's film seven, of course. And it was like, wait a second, this is a better idea than what you guys did with it. Let's uh, let's use that. And like it's it was like a very yes and thing. Whereas like at the time when it came out, people were like, oh, it's just a rip off of seven, blah, blah, blah. And it's like no, it it had it it did that improv rule of yes and like it it was like yes okay, but you can also do all this stuff with it, and I I really appreciate that. It's nice to see when something adds to an idea rather than just fucking rips it off. Yeah, I think Saw was something that was really original at the time, and I think we forget how original it was. Yeah, and why it became such a hit is because we had never really seen anything like that. And we had seen things like that, but it did it again in a way where we didn't recognize that, yeah. where it was playing off of things and adding to the conversation. And the conversation right now is is struggling. I don't want to say the conversation is stagnant, but it's it's struggling to keep moving ahead uh, as far as the killer in the house type movie goes. I'd say we're overdue for it, it's, uh, something it's hard new. To, we've got some very innovative horror movies right now i think it follows i loved it follows and that was a bunch of teenagers getting stalked by a killer movie but it did it differently horror is in a good place i think some the best movies i've seen this year have been horror movies but you know the witch is not a slasher movie by any means right. uh green room if you want to call it a horror movie it's tenuous uh if it's a thriller or a horror what what makes a movie a horror versus a thriller but uh, that's it's not a, a slash movie <laughs> that's it's, a it's, it's i've different. never been able to it's figure that so, out you know john D'Amico's thing that he says about that is yeah. when a horror movie is good they call it a thriller you know and that's that's definitely true yeah well green room i think because there's no ghouls and it's all just very real the the enemies are nazis is it a horror movie it's hard to say or is it a thriller? What, what do you what do you want to call it? I think you can make a good argument for either way. Uh, it's great. It's my best movie of the year so far. I still got to uh, check I that seen one out. Yeah, a whole lot this year, but Green Room is definitely excellent. All right, yeah, so it doesn't it doesn't get you much in a Halloweeny vibe, but it definitely gets you in a a tense I'm tense as fuck vibe. Like this is this is putting me on the edge of my seat. Mm. So, uh, in the end, is Final Destination the final slasher series? I think in a way it is, and in other ways, maybe it's leading into something else. Uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, is Saw the final slasher series? Is Saw the beginning of something new? I don't know. You just put that in my head right now, so I don't have a conclusion on Saw. Well, we'll have but to uh, see if somebody minds a new... Series. I'm going to finish the Nightmare series. We'll have to see if somebody back. minds a new philosophy uh, school for some new horror, because I think, I think that's where it'll come from, is somebody like reads some philosopher and is like, Ooh, I could, uh, model a fucking franchise out of this. You know, I think that's where it really comes. I think, uh, to do horror well, thrillers well, I think it, you need that psychological element. And in particular, certain franchises are just like, just how, how can we just explore this one philosophy as thoroughly as possible? So I think it'll come from some mining of philosophy. That's my prediction. I don't know that for sure, but I would think that would come from there. But uh, Brad, we'll have to do this again once I've seen more of the Friday the 13th and uh, you've seen all the Freddies yeah. and we'll, we'll do a final roundup yeah, on let's, those. Let's finish the series. Yeah, we'll, we'll both finish them and uh, keep on going and maybe in a week or two we can come back. So thanks for having me again. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye.